Welcome inside a brand new episode of the All Hoops Podcast. I'm Stephen Inman, and I'm joined by my co-host and producer to the stars, Chris Brito. Chris and I will discuss what we learned from the conclusion of the first round of the NBA playoffs. Lots of storylines are around us, but first of all, Chris, my friend, how are you? Hey, Stevie. You know, what more can you ask about these playoffs? Almost every game has been pretty good and exciting. The Lakers and the Blazers, we had a brief moment where we thought the Blazers, well, at least I did. (laughs) The Blazers had a chance of being the Lakers. And even a series that we didn't have very high expectations, like the Nuggets and the Jazz, ended up in Game 7. And it was a great finish. But now we know that the Nuggets will advance now, and they're going to play against L.A. Now, after after all the after the first round, I think we can make a lot of observations. We know that the Celtics are a juggernaut. The Sixers are done. Uh, they're nothing like the team of last year. Most of the best pieces are flourishing elsewhere. Look at Jimmy Butler in Miami. Philly really needs to look in the mirror right now. You know, consider what are you going to do with Embiid? Or what do you do with Ben Simmons? Right now, Brett Brown was fired. So now this team is looking for a coat. My, my, my guess, Chris, is sorry to cut you off. I think yeah. they're going to just try to bring in some kind of offensive guru, some guy who can just scream from the mountains to everyone listening. I could fix the spacing between Embiid and Simmons. And they will try to run this thing back with Embiid and Simmons. You were about yeah. to mention Ty Lue. Tell me why you think he's the right fit. Well, Ty Lue is going to be the guy because he's, well, in my opinion, he'll be the the right guy for the job because he already worked with per, big personalities like Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. And yet, you know, if you remember that season with the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, it started out with the promising coach, David Black, and then he was fired midseason and then Tyron Lue took over. That team ended up getting its own championship. And He's just someone who always knew like how to maneuver the players on the team, right? You had Kevin Love also, and that also you had to deal with the spacing with all those guys then. And then Ty Lue is right now, I believe, on the Clippers as an assistant coach, and it just makes sense. I think that if you bring someone like him with the championship experience, you know, all the players on the team will respect him, and I think that matters to the Sixers moving forward, who clearly need leadership. Yeah. No, uh, he de- Lou has done a good job with the Clippers this year for sure. I am really fascinated by that because I think they they need a, a better offensive guru. Like some guy, like a Dan Tony type. Like somebody who has emerged as one of the better offensive minds in our game. And look, Lou could be a very good coach. I think the issues in Philly, though, are beyond a normal coach. They need somebody who has wide experience in how to create space and how to get the most out of these two, you know, big guys who are trying to play together. But let's talk about some winning teams, Chris. Let's talk about the Celtics and the Raptors. We had a a little, you know, discussion about this earlier where I said Celtics in seven. Boston looks like they've emerged. Jalen, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker looks healthy. Chris, that's the best one, two, three in the entire playoffs. I don't think there's even a debate about it. No, you're right. And I really underestimated how good they were. And I thought they were going to hit a wall against the Toronto Raptors. Full disclosure, and you guys have probably heard me say this in past episodes, I believe that the Raptors are going to make the Eastern Conference finals and make it to the finals. 
Now they're down two games. We're recording this episode Tuesday night. Um, I don't feel as confident of them anymore. Um, they're still the, the series is still early. They need to win the next two games for sure. But what I would say is that the Celtics, they're like water. They, they, they sort of mold to whatever is in front of them, and they adapt quickly. And then when you have a guy like Marcus Smart, who can just defend anybody on your team, you know, what an asset he is. And Chris, you saw what he did in game two, hitting threes down the stretch. If you're going to get this kind of offensive production from him, who's really going to beat Boston? Because you have the big three I talked about. You have Marcus Smart. And then, you know, you got Time Lord all over the place, blocking shots, getting key rebounds, jumping all over the place. You know, Chris, this looks like a complete team. And they're going to get Gordon Hayward back at some point, you know, if they can advance to the next round. So I'm really confident in them. But also, you know, I feel like we switch roles a little bit. Do not sleep on this Toronto team and think they're just going to lay down. Because if you remember, Toronto was down 2-0 last year in the second round. And or was that was that was again the Bucks? Were they down 2-0 against the Bucks? Was that the, that was the Eastern Conference Finals? Excuse me. Yeah, it was, was against the Bucks. But you know they're down 2-0 there. Everyone thought that was over. Mm-hmm. Here here you have a, a similar situation. And look, Pascal Siakam has not been impressive. And I while you know it's going to be tough for him to be as good as he was in the regular season because you have such great defenders. You know. Jason Tatum has emerged as an offensive star, but he's also a defensive, you know, above average player there too. So Siakam is is not going to be, to me, the 25-point-a-game guy he was in the regular season, but he still should be better than he has been. So a point, yeah. a point there, Chris, and, you know, this could be 1-1 right now. So ultimately, the thing with Siakam, though, is that he is someone being essentially dependent on to be that, Kawhi Leonard of last year. Siakam is not Kawhi Leonard, at least not right now. No, it's gonna. And then, to be saw, and then and then we saw that down the stretch, right? You know, they were trying to go to him. He had his chances. Marcus Smart defended him really well. He had a lot of mental mistakes. Like he even stepped out of bounds when he was trying to get the ball. When he was, you know, when they were trying to tie the game, as you said, I, you know, the Raptors still have a chance to get back into this, and I they they fully can. Uh, it's just. It's just the it, it, this speaks more to the Celtics and the Raptors. The Celtics just have are they have so many two way players that make them so dangerous. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you there. It's it's been really fun so far. And again, it's yes, it's two zero, but it's been two very competitive games. Let's move over to uh, the Heat and the Bucks. And Chris, I thought Miami was going to be a very tough matchup for Milwaukee. You know, the Heat's. Three-point shooting, I thought, was going to be a real big issue for for Milwaukee. They allowed 14 threes a game, which is the most in the NBA. And, you know, the Heat in game one are just bombing threes. Jimmy Butler goes off in the fourth quarter, and the Heat have a one nothing lead. So I think the Heat are going to win this one in seven. These three-point shooters are, are a problem, and it's going to come down to Giannis is going to continue to try to go his way in the paint, as he has for many years now. Can Bam stay in front of him, contest him at the rim to a degree? You're not going to stop Giannis, but can you make him not as efficient? Can you stop the 15 for 25 games while also keeping yourself out of foul trouble? If Bam can stay on the court, that's a huge, huge advantage for Miami. Okay, again, full disclosure, I had the Bucks to win this series, and I still believe— Are you changing that? 
Nope. I'm sticking with the Bucks. I'm also sticking with the Raptors. Um, Stick to your guns, even when you're wrong. I love it. <laughs> anyway, uh, back to the Heat. The Heat have two kryptonites um, against this Bucks team. You know, the, the Bucks have had issues all season long defending from three. That Heat have plenty of options that can that can shoot the three. Um, and then you have a guy like Bam, who guards the hell out of Giannis. That being said, Giannis is Giannis. He's the MVP for a reason. And I believe that, you know, as great as Jimmy Butler is, he's not going to score 40 points for six or seven games. It's just not going to happen. And he's never hit that many jump shots in a game either. So taking those two things to consider, um, you know, Jimmy needed a lot of help for them to just sneak this one by because that's what happened. They sneaked this one by. Whereas the Bucks still have a, a plenty of uh, all-around pieces that were that where they can make a difference and win a game. The Heat are great. I think they're one piece away from really making a serious run for the finals, but uh, it can go either way. Uh, I still think the Bucks are going to win it, though. You mentioned those other pieces for the Bucks, and they have a lot of other pieces, but I have not seen those guys, whether it's this playoffs or the one last year, really be you know, be the guys they were in the regular season. We've had our doubts about Chris Middleton. He has not been great in the playoffs. What he ha- played what- a great last game, though. Yes. <laughs> but I need to see that for six, seven games for them to win for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bledsoe has been up and down. What kind of Brook Lopez are you getting? You know, we talk about can Bam hang with Giannis? Can Lopez hang with Bam is going to be another issue. And Bam's another mm-hmm. guy comfortable around that three-point line. That's kind of the Lopez huge advantage where he carries these bigs out to the perimeter. Bam is comfortable out there. So I'm curious how that's going to work for them. But they're going to need these guys besides for Giannis, maybe even George Hill. You know, we're going to need a couple of those guys to become, you know, above average in this series for, you know, the the Bucks to win it. Yeah, I mean – Again, that's going to be a series that's going to be predicated on the three-point line, whether he can keep that up uh, and whether the Bucks can defend it. So that's what it will come down to. Let's uh, let's move over to the Western Conference here, Chris. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers, both, as we predicted, advanced to the second round. They both, you know, had some interesting moments, Portland, you know, Dallas, but we they kind of handled these teams as we expected. Lakers in five, Clippers in six. Um, Chris, which team are you more confident in going forward? Uh, I think the Lakers, just because they have they whoever they face, whether it's Houston or OKC, have a much easier road to the to the to the eventual Western Conference Finals. Um, and the Clippers have been great. Um, they've been molding toward the end. They were molding toward the end of that Dallas Mavericks series, which was fantastic, by the way. Like, Luka Doncic, he's going to be an MVP, multiple MVP sort of guy. Anyway, back to the Lakers. The Lakers also seem to be figuring it out. I'm just concerned that they really don't have much after Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go. I'm more confident in the Clippers right now, but it's only really because I think their next opponent, Denver, should be easier. You know, they're coming off of a seven-game grueling series. Jamal Murray plays the week of his life. 
Are you going to get that kind of performance going forward? You're also going to have him on, you know, there's going to be Kawhi Leonard who can guard him. There's going to be Pat Bev who can guard him. And you saw all the effort that went into it. And you kind of saw Denver's offense kind of, you know, really struggle in game seven. They hung on and won. But now they got to come back two days later. They start that series Thursday against a rested Clipper team. I think the Clippers are going to take care of them in five. Whereas, you know, for the Lakers, Houston is going to be a problem because of their three-point shooting. They can win any series because they have the ability to shoot 53s and shoot 55% from them for a couple of games. And mm-hmm. it's not likely, but it's possible. And when that happens, I mean, you can't really stop them. So that's why I kind of think – I think both Lakers and Clippers will advance – but like to me, the Clippers don't really have an issue or aren't going to have an issue with Denver, whereas the Lakers could have a couple of scares. The one thing I'll give you in, in both your arguments is that, you know, the Clippers are going to face a, a, a beat up Nuggets team that just went through a, a seven game grueling series against the Utah Jazz. It, that game was literally decided in the final minute. Yes. Final and, seconds. Literally final second. Um, and back to the Houston thing. The Houston Rockets did beat the Lakers during the regular season with their new um, small ball lineup. But, you know, it's the regular season. I just think the Lakers are, are are much better equipped now, knowing what the gimmick was all about. And I don't – and the Rockets have no answer for Anthony Davis. Like, who are you going to put on Anthony Davis? One thing I'm very curious to see how it works, and you brought it up before with the Lakers, is the uh, the other guys. The mm-hmm. non-LeBron Anthony Davis guys and the Lakers have had so much success this year with their two-headed center duo of JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. And look, centers just haven't worked on the court against against Houston this year. They've been chased off the court. You'll, you see what Steven Adams does. Steven Adams against a bruiser, you know, like a Rudy Gobert, like a Jokic is very effective. But right now you have, you know, he's barely on the court right now. Are the Rockets going to be able to chase Dwight and JaVale off the court? And to me, that means Davis is going to have to play a lot of center. In many ways. So full disclosure, everyone who listens to the episode, um, we are recording this before the Game 7 between the Rockets and OKC. OKC is incredible how scrappy they are. They are a team that nobody expected to be in the playoffs, much less in a game seven versus a Rockets team that had finals expectations. And OKC in many ways is, is, is maybe a team to be scared of uh, for the Lakers as well. Um, But in the end, I think the Lakers will will beat each other, beat either team. Um, It's just that the, the OKC is just like, you can never count them out for anything. Yeah, but I, I think both of these teams are going to be more competitive and a tougher matchup for the Lakers than Denver for the Clippers. Mm-hmm. But I'm taking both L.A. teams. I think they're both going to win in uh, five or six games. Let's uh let's go to our final thoughts, Chris. And uh, there's some interesting stuff going on around the bubble this week, obviously, you know. Uh, but I want to start with what happened in, with Indiana. They get swept by the by the Heat about a week before week after giving Nate McMillan a contract extension and then fire him, and they bring up his three and sixteen playoff record in the press release. And Chris, 
I understand nobody wants to get swept, but it had to have been something besides basketball that got him fired just a couple of weeks after signing, you know, a long-term deal, a longer-term deal. Well, you know, we're, you know, we're more than a week since we last heard of that, I believe, right? More than a week. Anyway, it's just confusing because it seemed like they had confidence in him. They they extended his contract, but then all of a sudden pulled the chair out of his out of him. I don't understand. I think it may be related to them being front runners to getting D'Antoni because they pro they I guess they expect the Rockets to not go past the second round or whatever it is. That's the I, only I, thing I can think of. He's gonna have a list of suitors if the Rockets did let him go. Whether as a head coach or an assistant head coach with a top team, would he pick Indiana? I don't know. I mean, the idea of firing Nate McMillan, who's a very, very good coach, after already paying him for the next couple of years, doesn't make a ton of sense if your plan is we're just going to hope the Rockets get rid of D'Antoni and we're going to hope he just picks us. It kind of sounds like if that's what's happening, we don't know if that's what's happening, but it sounds a little bit like what the Knicks went through and they're like, we're going to move everything for Duran Irving, even though we have no idea if they're going to show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, the Pacers are in, in, in a particular, in a peculiar position because they, for two, for, for, you know, for two years in a row, basically didn't have their best player. Um, this year it was Sabonis, and who knows what Nate McMillan's future would have been if you know he had a full squad? Could they have beaten Miami? Who knows? Like, I, um, I expect that team with Kevin Pritchard, and also Kevin Pritchard, you know, hired McMillan or worked with McMillan in Portland in their last stop too. So there's a long history between the two of them. So to see it abruptly end the way it did was surprising. But I think the Pacers are going to do something this like big this summer or fall. You have Oladipo, who is a um, you know free agent in a year. Sabonis was hurt. They they kind of show that Sabonis and Turner aren't the best fit together. You know how does you know Oladipo fit with Brogdon? I think they might be gearing up to make a, a big trade with one of those guys. But uh, Chris, the first round series that was better than all of them was Denver, Utah. Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell had several 50 point games. And I want to ask you, was this just a hot streak for them, or did they emerge as star players, um, superstar players? I think we already knew that about Donovan Mitchell, but I we definitely didn't know that about Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray has really come out. Like, I, If you would have told me which player you would have expected to score 50, it would have definitely been Donovan Mitchell. We were even on the record in the last, in the last podcast talking about how Donovan Mitchell would be the only legit scoring option for the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Um, and at the end, he kind of was. He and he kind of was, and then ja- seven games. Right, and then Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray, out of nowhere, like we all assumed this was Jokic's team, and then out of nowhere, the second best player scored fifty twice. Anyway, he he to me is like such a star. It it, it really seemed to me like the rim was like an ocean, and he just kept firing and making them in. Um. And shout out to Mike Malone too, making all the like adjustments needed for that Denver Jazz series. Anyway, I expect Jamal Murray to be—I don't know, like he may be the guy in Denver. I mean, it—it. It, I'm curious to see how that ha- what happens when he he faces the Clippers, but I don't think that's a fluke. 
yeah, I'm curious when you get better defenders against him, how does that go? Was it just a hot streak? We're going to find out uh, on Thursday. But, uh, Chris, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up the show? Yeah, so so we're recording this before the Game 7 series between Houston and OKC. Now, what what are your thoughts on, like, what if what happens to Houston if they lose? What happens to OKC if they lose? That's what I'm curious about. What do you what do you what are your thoughts if Houston uh, if loses? OKC lo- if OKC loses, I don't think anything's going to really change much uh, with their mindset. I think they kind of want to rebuild, and I think it will depend on the guys like Gallinari. Um, what's his price tag? Can they bring him back on a on an expensive one year deal, or is he going to get a three year deal somewhere else? If you can keep the the surrounding pieces around Paul and SGA, you're probably going to just try to run this back. If you can't, I would think there's more likely than not to try to dangle Chris Paul out there and see if you can't just dump him, mm-hmm. but can you get some stupid team like the Knicks to give you a couple of first-round picks? Could you get Philly to do a Harris for Paul swap where Philly gives you the next three or four draft picks in their, you know, the next few years. I, I think they have so many different options and I don't think they will be based on what happens Wednesday night. As for the Rockets, if you lose this and you have a healthy Harden for the first time in a long time, very fresh. Now Westbrook is back. And if you lose, if they can't win this year, they may not be able to win ever because You always have Harden going for these MVPs. He's always, you know, playing extreme minutes. He just had four months off, and he still can't get out of the first round. So I would think there's a strong chance D'Antoni's get fired. I think there's a 50-50 chance at least that Daryl Morey is fired because I think they would look for a way to get him out of there after the, the China tweet. And this would be a great excuse to do it, despite being, you know, one of the two or three better executives in basketball. So... Everything is pretty much on the line for the Rockets tomorrow or Wednesday, whereas I think the Thunder are kind of, you know, they would like to win, obviously, but I don't think their future is dependent on a Game 7 Wednesday night. Yeah, and like, as you said, OKC has a lot of young pieces, and and the future is theirs. They have so many picks over the next decade or five or six years or whatever it is. Like, if, if if I'm them... Would you really want to trade Chris Paul for a couple of mid-20s first-round picks? Because I, I wouldn't because you have so many picks coming. And I think I think the only reason – The low-20s, mid-20s, like mm-hmm. you, you're not trading Chris Paul for two top-five picks. Right. I think the only reason you're trading Chris Paul is to unload a, a, an expensive contract, which – what, he has one year or two years left? I think it's one year. Two years. Okay. Two years left. Um, Two either years way, it, either way, his his impact on that young team is just like it's incredible. Like an OKC team that no one expects to be in the playoffs, one game away from the second round. Anyway, I just wanted to really quickly address the players um, sit out last week. I thought that was so admirable. I thought what a historic moment in our time to. You know, basically take put a pause in American sports, and 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 the NBA was the leader in this. Well, I should say the Milwaukee Bucks were the leader in this. You know, after all the shooting of um, Jacob Blake happened in in Wisconsin, 
you know, I'm just always in awe of how how aware the NBA players are because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones who face their communities and, you know, really they are the voices of their communities too. I'm just here to put my admiration out for them. And, you know, we're always obviously very supportive of what they're, they're, they stand for. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm just so proud of rooting for a league like this, watching a league like this, consuming a league like this. Um, and surely there are many things that need to be done, right? Like, you know, one of the things that they're going to do is is set up this coalition of social justice. And but the more the more lasting, the more important thing that they're doing is that they're turning arenas that are owned by the league, uh, by the individual teams, and they're turning them to polling sites. I think that's that's amazing in terms of what that means with a uh, general election coming up. That's it. That's, yeah. that's what I got. It's obviously very important, and it was concerning because when we, you know, discussed this earlier, when the Bucks, you know, held out, it didn't seem like there was a, a set united plan, and you kind of said, all right, what's going on here? But when you have 200-plus people in a room, it's hard to have a set plan right away, and at the same time, they talked it out, they, it got heated, but they all figured it out, and they figured out what was best to do going forward, which... They decided it was to play and to also, you know, talk to the owners about what makes the most sense right now. And they did a great job because, as you said, these polling sites are something that, you know, what, two, three, four NBA arenas were doing mm-hmm. before this. Now it's going to be all all, all the uh, NBA teams, including the ones not in the bubble. So, you know, great job by the by the players standing up for even even the Knicks. Even MSG will be available as a polling site, guys. Ah, I mean, unbelievable they got them involved. But uh, that's going to do it for us here on All Hoops. Thank you so much for listening. And a reminder to follow our brand-new Instagram page, at All Hoops Podcast. And we will be back next week to discuss the second round. 